Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Ryan Bosler. I'm the Connections Director here at the church. Uh, and we're in this series called Labels, uh, walking through the Gospel of Luke together. And the purpose of this series is to help you see that the gospel calls us to a life above labels. But it starts with being able to identify your labels and then, and then thinking about all the ways that these labels impact your life, your relationships, your worldview, and, and, and your spirituality. And these labels can be labels that we put on ourselves. Uh, they, can, they can be labels that uh, other people put on us or, you know, oftentimes it's a combination of both. Let me give you a personal example. Uh, before I left the army, the doctors gave me the label post-traumatic stress syndrome. And, and, and I feel like that label defined me throughout my, my 20s and, and even into my early 30s. And, and for me, that meant that, you know, sometimes I, I felt like I kind of hid behind that label. Like when, when I use it as an excuse to avoid being around people because uh, it, groups of, uh, of, of other people made me feel anxious. Sometimes, you know, they still do. Now, other times I felt like that because I had this PTSD label that it meant that I was broken inside. And so, and so I drank excessively to, to kind of numb that pain. Uh, you know, other times, uh, you know, I, I wore that label somewhat like a, like a badge of honor because, you know, having a, a PTSD label, it meant that, you know, I had experienced uh, this real life combat, something that I knew a lot of other people hadn't experienced themselves. But eventually I hit a point where I didn't want to be defined by, by my PTSD label because it, it was like a, it was becoming like a barrier between me and God. And so as I, as I worked through my label uh, in the counseling process, uh, it actually helped me draw closer to God. And, and although my label is still part of my story, it doesn't necessarily define who I am. So one of the most important questions to be asking yourself during this series is, you know, what's my label? In other words, how do I define myself? Or maybe how do other people define me? And how do these labels impact your spirituality? And the reason why it's important to, to understand how you label yourself or, or how others label you is because this could be the most impactful way that, that God reaches and breaks through to you personally uh, with, with the good news of the gospel. Because, because the, the good news of the gospel transcends labels. The gospel says that, uh, that I love you despite your labels, so much so that I sent my only son, Jesus, uh, you know, so that you could be in relationship with, with God and, and live a life that is above labels. So today we meet John the Baptist, and, uh, and John the Baptist has labels uh, like prophet and, and proclaimer. You know, maybe a, a modern way of saying it is that, is that John was an announcer, and his purpose was to, was to announce and, and prepare the way for uh, Jesus to come onto the scene and, and start his three and a half years of active ministry. It, now, it's interesting. You want to know the way that uh, John the Baptist uh, prepares the way for Jesus? It was, it was actually by labeling people. And, and at first, you're going to think, man, John the Baptist is like such a jerk. But, but John does this because he believes that, that there's this insidious side to our labels. 
that these labels, even, even the good ones, uh, you know, actually reflect some of our deepest sin struggles. In fact, what I hope to show you today is, is, that, is that the reason that John labels people is so that then the gospel can liberate them. Because it's when your identity becomes Jesus follower that you really start to experiencing life-changing freedom. In order to get there, John's message then is, is going to teach us uh, two things about repentance and two things about the gospel. That's what we're going to talk about here this morning. So go ahead and grab your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 1. And as you do, I just, want to, I just want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open the entire time. We're going to, we're going to refer to it uh, as we go. Starting in verse 1, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod, being Tetrarch of Galilee and his brother, Philip, Tetrarch of the region of Etoria and Trachonitis and Lasanias, Tetrarch of Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So verses one and two are interesting because it provides the names of some Roman officials in, in the regions that they governed. And, and then we see the names of, uh, of two Jewish high priests. And we could take these names and, uh, and we can find them in historical source, uh, sources uh, other than the Bible, um, you, know, you know, to see that, uh, that these events, you know, took place approximately in AD 29, which is, which is pretty cool because, you know, right there, I feel like, you know, that should, that should give us some confidence that these things that you hear about in the Bible are actually true. But for the Jewish people, what's important about AD 29 is that they haven't heard a prophetic word from God in almost 500 years. And so when John the Baptist shows up, immediately they think, you know, uh, this, this might be, he might be the, the promised uh, Messiah from, from the Old Testament. Uh, and in fact, later on, uh, what, what you'll see is that John actually had to, had to correct them uh, and, and set the record straight that, you know, he wasn't the promised Messiah. You know, that uh, he was just there as the announcer, Jesus, he was the one, he was going to be the main event. So verse three then becomes a summary statement for John's ministry. He was there to proclaim a baptism of the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And now you're probably wondering, what do these labels have to do with repentance for the forgiveness of sins? Well, let's go back to, to my own, you know, PTSD label. You know, oftentimes it meant that, you know, I was so focused inward on myself that, you know, that, that I just couldn't focus on, on other people. You know, especially, especially when, you know, people like my own family needed me the most, I just, I just kind of emotionally checked out. So honestly, you know, there was a, there was a kind of selfishness there behind my label. In, in order for me to heal, I had to first recognize that, that there was a sinful nature wrapped up in that label. And my PTSD itself wasn't sinful, but the way I allowed it to define my life and control my behavior at times, that's what was sinful. 
And this leads us to the first thing that we see about repentance. It's that repentance is inwardly impressed and outwardly expressed. I I think repentance is, is one of the most critical spiritual concepts to understand. It comes from a Greek word uh, that, that means, uh, that's called uh, metanoia, which literally means a change of mind. But the word here is, is actually extremely deep, deep and, re- and rich. The word means a change of the inner man. So let's think about it like this. You might recall what happened to uh, the cyclist Lance Armstrong. He won seven consecutive Tour de France uh, titles. Uh, and, 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 and even, you know, winning a couple uh, of those titles after battling testicular cancer. Uh, he founded a multi-million dollar uh, foundation called the Live Strong Foundation that supports cancer research and, uh, and people who are, who are going through cancer or cancer survivor themselves. And so, I mean, his label was like, was, he was the most recognizable and successful cyclist in history. But there were always rumors that, uh, that the reason for Armstrong's success was, was that because he took illegal performance enhancement drugs. In 2013, uh, Armstrong did an interview with Oprah, and he confessed that, that his entire career that he cheated. Because listen, like nobody escapes Oprah, right? Uh, so his titles were, were stripped away. Uh, he was kicked out of the Livestrong Foundation that, you know, he helped start. And about every corporate sponsor that he had sued him uh, to get their money back. And it was kind of like his new label became, you know, cheater. If you watched the interview that he did with Oprah, it just kind of seemed off. He outwardly apologized, but you just, you just kind of had this sense that, uh, you know, it, it didn't feel all that sincere. You know what I mean? It felt like what we would refer to as attrition. Attrition is regret for sin prompted by uh, fear for oneself. It's saying, you know, I got caught. I, I don't like experiencing the negative consequences that, that I'm experiencing right now. And, and, and this leads to a hatred of your current situation. This is very different from what's referred to as contrition. Contrition is regret for offense against God. It's saying, yeah, you know, you know, I hate the fact that I got caught. I hate the fact that, you know, I'm experiencing these, these negative consequences. You know, maybe even like, you know, these people that I hurt. But the one that I hurt the most is actually God. And this actually leads to a hatred of sin. It was interesting because in uh, 2020, ESPN did a a two-part documentary series on Lance Armstrong. And during one interview, uh, Lance Armstrong was asked about about his lying and his cheating and and the people that he hurt and all the damage that that he had caused. And his reply was very simply, I wouldn't change a thing. So Armstrong was not very contrite after all. And this is why true repentance is first inwardly impressed as an offense against God, not just, not just against, you know, uh, you know, the people that you hurt, not, not even just, you know, against hurting yourself and, and not even just, you know, being really sorry for, for what you've done. It, it, I think in Isaiah uh, chapter 57, it, it frames this, this kind of perspective really well. And it says, I dwell in the high and the holy place and also with 
with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would grow faint before me in the breath of life that I made because of the iniquity of his unjust gain. I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face and was angry, but he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. You know, you and I are a lot like Lance Armstrong. We typically, we typically flip it around and, and we make an outward expression of regret without, without first experiencing that, that inward impression about the weight of our sin. But the reality is, is if, if, if all we do is, is focus on outward change without, without dealing with this weight internally, then you'll end up backsliding. That's, that's what this text is talking about. In other words, you're not going to actually change. And God says, I want you to be the person that has a contrite and lowly spirit. Why? Because God says, I'm going to be the one to revive the contrite heart. God says, I'm going to be the one that helps you transcends your labels, not by simply allowing you to make a new label for yourself, because that's what we try to do, right? But rather by giving you a new heart or a new sense of purpose, which brings us to the next thing that we see about repentance. It's that repentance is universally required, but individually applied. Verse four. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And this text here actually comes from uh, the book of Isaiah again, chapter 40. And it's an Old Testament promise that's, that's being realized now that John the Baptist is coming as a prophet and he's there to announce something. What is it? He's announcing that Jesus is about to, you know, take the stage. Uh, and Jesus has, has a pretty incredible label, by the way. Uh, we see Jesus's label is Lord. So that's why then in verse four, when it says, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. It helps to, I think, have some historical context. You know, during this period of time, whenever, whenever a town or a village found out that, that their king was going to come visit, um, you know, they, they, they wanted to, you know, make preparations in order to receive their king well. And, and one thing that they would do is they would go out and they would start to, to smooth the roads and, and they, would, they would remove, you know, rocks and fallen branches uh, to get those things off of the road in order to, to make the king's approach to their town uh, as, as direct as possible. And that's what John is there to do, to smooth out the road for King Jesus's arrival. But to do that, John, John needs to get some rocks out of the way. And those rocks are called labels. So verse five sets the stage and it says, every valley shall be filled. This means that, that people who truly repent of their sin will be saved. Valleys literally full of people saved by the grace of God. But how do I repent? That's why it says next that, that every mountain and hill shall be made low. 
And let's just be honest here for a minute. You know, your default position, my default position is, is generally pretty proud and arrogant, is it not? You know, we think, I got this. You know, I know what I'm doing. You know, I, I might make a bad decision every now and then. I might, I might mess up every now and then, but, but nobody's perfect, right? I mean, you know, if, if, if I compare, you know, myself to, you know, to Jack over here or Jill over here, I don't know, you know, maybe Adolf Hitler over there. I, I, I think I'm doing a pretty good job overall. And so for most of us, being a follower of Jesus, being, you know, part of that heavenly valley means that you will be brought low. Repentance means that you will be humbled in one way or another. And oftentimes it means that throughout your walk that you're going to experience humility often many times over and over again. And I think that this pride label, you know, applies to, applies to a lot of us. But, but now here's a few more labels that the text talks about just in, just in case we might have missed someone. It says, next, the crooked shall become straight. And this represents those of you that, that twist the truth to work in your favor. Crooked here literally means to, to be bent or, or twisted because of being dried out. And the imagery is like, is like a piece of wood that, that's been dried out. And because of that, it gets warped. In other words, objective truth has been dried out and, and then warped by your subjectivity. So this means that, that you always have an excuse. You know, you're really good at finding ways to justify everything that you do. And deep down, you know the right thing, but, but you've become really good at, at bending the truth so, so that you can live life on your own terms. So repentance for you means that you will have your character straightened out. Finally, this, the last label says, uh, in rough places shall become level ways. This represents those of you who are resentful. The word rough here means that you're rugged because you're wounded. You've been through hell and, and you've got the scars to prove it, right? You've been hurt and so, and so now you're jaded. You've got, some, you've got some serious walls up because you find it really hard to trust people. And so sometimes that means that you're angry and, and so you lash out at other people. But, but other times it, uh, it just kind of makes you turn inward and, and, and so you shut down emotionally and, and relationally. Repentance for you means, means that those, those rough walls that, that you've built up uh, will come down in, in your life and your emotions will, will kind of start to level out. The end result then, verse 6, for all these labels, is that all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Means that the free gift of salvation through, through Jesus Christ as Lord over your life and Lord over your, your, your labels is offered to all. All flesh shall see it, yet not everyone will receive it. Not everyone will receive that salvation. Why? Because if you're not willing to do the hard work of, of challenging your labels, then, then you won't be able to see the sin problem that oftentimes is behind your labels. So that's what John tackles next. If people say to him, you know, John, uh, I know I've got some labels, but, but I don't want to live by these labels anymore. So, so what the heck am I supposed to do now? And this brings up, you know, I think one of the hardest realities that, that you need to understand. 
It's that, it's that the best questions in life are, are usually the ones that you probably don't want to hear answered. Look at verse 7. And he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So John says, all right, let's start with why these labels matter from an eternal standpoint. It's because God's wrath is coming. And that wrath is defined as God's judgment against people who refuse to acknowledge their sin. And the kind of sin we're talking about is the kind that, that gets at to the, to the root of why it is that we agreed with our labels in the first place. There's, because there's no salvation in, in just saying that you'll try to do better next time. And there's no, there's no salvation in just trying to come up with a better sounding, uh, you know, maybe more dignified label. So how is it that you know that you've actually repented? John says in verse 8, well, you will bear fruit in keeping with repentance. But now what the heck does that mean? Because we've already seen that, that repentance is, is individually applied, right? So, so now John is going gonna, is gonna to address some people individually. And he's going to say, hey, man, you want to know what, what that means for you? Not, you know, just you, not anyone else. I'll tell you. And it's almost kind of like if you've ever heard that saying, you know, don't ask the question if, if you don't really want to hear the answer. Well, John says, actually, those are the very best questions that you should be asking about your life. So then when John says in the second part of verse eight, do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I want you to know he's talking to religious people. He's talking to people who are, you know, pretty, pretty moral and upstanding citizens. You know, these were, these were good people. And, and religious people are, are really good at following the rules. But, you know, that can also be a stumbling block. Because religious people, you know, tend to be really good at following rules, but, but they tend to struggle with relationships they, because they tend to view other people by, by their ability to follow rules and live up to the same standards that, that they think that they do. That's why a lot of religious people are so judgmental. Verse 10, and the crowds asked them, what then shall we do? And like I said, that's, that's one of the best questions that you can ask. What then shall we do? Now listen to John's response, verse 11. And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. So John says to the religious person, the way you apply repentance individually is by helping rather than judging. In other words, when you stop trusting your religious background or, or maybe your, your good behavior to make you right with God, uh, you won't be so judgmental towards other people. Instead, you'll have, you'll have a contrite heart that, that honestly believes that, that without Jesus's free gift of salvation, that, that you'd actually be lost, lost in your sin. In other words, if I think, you know, because Jesus helped me, so now I, in turn, can help you. 
Because a transformed life transforms how we relate to others. Now look at verse 12. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. So John says to the rationalist, the way you apply repentance individually is that you submit to authority. More specifically, you follow God's word more and your word less. You stop rationalizing everything that you do. Remember, tax collectors were were fellow Jews that, that collected taxes for the Roman government. And the Romans told them how much tax to collect. But what these tax collectors would do is they would charge people, the Jewish people, significantly more. And then they would pay off the Roman government and they would, they would pocket the rest. And they twisted the truth to work in their favor, but but then it damaged their relationships with other Jews. And John says to the tax collector, I want you to follow the rules rather than making up your own. In other words, stop rationalizing the fact that, that you're doing something wrong just so that you'll feel better about yourself. I mean, that's why we rationalize, right? To feel better about ourselves. You know, I think pastor and, and author John Piper, he, he frames this, this danger of, uh, of what it means to be a rationalist well when he said, quote, the mind was designed not to defend what we want, but to discover what is ultimately true, which should then shape our wants and satisfy them more deeply with God. The purpose of the mind then is not to, to rationalize subjective preferences, but to recognize objective reality or another way of saying it, objective truth and to help uh, the heart revel in God. That's why John the Baptist says to the rationalist, submit to an authority other than yourself. In other words, don't give yourself the power to determine what's right because quite frankly, you don't do a very good job at it. Submitting to God's authority means he gets to make the rules, not you. Let's keep going. Verse 14. The soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be content with your wages. So John says to the, to the resentful, the way you apply repentance individually is through gratitude. And I think some background here, you know, is a little helpful. John, John is talking directly to uh, Roman soldiers about their compensation structure, which sounds super weird, right? But, but John, uh, but in the first century, uh, Roman soldiers were, uh, were paid approximately 112 denarii per year. Now, uh, the average cost, uh, you know, to live uh, and, and survive in, in that area in, in Palestine was about 70 denarii per year on average. So if you think about it, uh, these soldiers were, were well compensated for, for their location. And yet these soldiers weren't content with their wages. And so they extorted money from other people. So why do you think they did that? I mean, was it just because they were greedy? Maybe. As it turns out, uh, when, when soldiers worked within the city of Rome itself, they were paid about 200 denarii per year. So most likely, these soldiers resented the fact that other soldiers made more money. And John says to these soldiers, but I want you to consider being grateful for what you have rather than being consumed by what you don't have. 
That's repentance. And that sense of gratitude eventually can turn into contentment. And finally, last group that John talks to, this label, John says to the casual observer, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're asking questions, but, but unfortunately, you're, you're not willing to ask the kind of questions that matter the most. Skip down to verse 18. So with many other exhortations, he, John, preached good news to the people. But Herod, the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, and he locked up John in prison. And we get more clarity about what's going on between John the Baptist and Herod, I think, in Mark chapter 6, verse 20. And it says, for Herod feared John knowing that, that he, John, was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. So think about that for a minute. Herod actually respected John at first to the degree that he kept him safe. Why? Because, because Herod enjoyed listening to the guy. He thought John was interesting. Herod was, was the consummate casual observer. He listened to John, but, but in his heart, he, he kind of kept John at an arm's length distance away. But now John knew that, that Herod was wrapped up in this adulterous relationship because Herod had betrayed his own brother and took his wife. And so at great risk, John essentially says to Herod, since, since you're not asking the hard questions about your love life, you know, I want you to know that, that you're messing this thing up. But, but remember, Herod is a casual observer. And he wasn't asking, you know, the harder, deeper questions, which, which then can lead to repentance. And so, and so it probably doesn't come as a huge surprise that, that Herod didn't like the fact that John was pointing out his sin. That's why then Herod threw John in prison and eventually had him executed. This is what happens when, when you're just a casual observer of Jesus. You might hear something that Jesus says gladly. And if you do, I mean, praise God, that's, that's a good thing. That's a start. But until you start asking the kind of questions about your personal life that you probably don't want to hear the answers, you'll always run the risk of responding like Herod. So what John says to us about repentance naturally leads to what he says next about the gospel. The gospel can't be good news unless there's also bad news. Go back to verse 15. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them and saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So if you remember back in verse three, the summary statement uh, about why John's existence was uh, to proclaim a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And his Jewish audience understood baptism in the sense of ritual washing. In, in other words, to, to purify themselves from uncleanliness on, on the outside. In fact, the Old Testament uh, actually has a total of 7,426 ritual washing. 
Nazarenes. I mean, these were some clean people that we're talking about, right? Uh, so John first needs to clarify two things. First, he's not the promised Messiah. That's Jesus, okay? And second, uh, the way that you'll actually know this to be true is because John says, I'm baptizing you only with water. It's, it's kind of like, it's almost kind of like the ritual washings that, that you're used to. And, but, but, but the good news that's found in Jesus in his gospel uh, is different, which, which is why John says that, that Jesus is going gonna, is gonna to be the one to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And this is a direct reference back to Isaiah chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, which says, And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. That's what the fire part means. So again, the bad news here is, for, uh, is that for all people who refuse to repent inwardly and follow Jesus individually, outwardly, uh, what follows is judgment in the unquenchable fire of hell. Because there can't be good news without first understanding that, that your default position, my default position with God is actually bad news. That's why then the good news of the gospel means that the only way to wash away the sin that, that pollutes your soul is by the blood of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Which leads us to the last thing that we see. It's that, it's that the gospel demands a decision. John the Baptist, he doesn't, he doesn't label people because he's judging them. He's labeling people so that they won't be judged by God. John says that questioning your labels can lead to revelation, personal revelation, a recognition of sin that's, that's wrapped up in these labels that, that we're so attached to and that are so attached to us. In other words, it's an opportunity to make a decision that, that can change the inner man or the inner woman. Because here's the reality, you know, accountability to God is, is either liberating or it's suffocating. And this is true whether, whether you wear the label of Jesus follower or, or somebody who doesn't follow Jesus. And now if you're here today and, and you don't follow Jesus, this, this is an opportunity to make a decision to follow him. The decision to follow Jesus is, is about liberation. And for you, you know, that means that, that today you, you inwardly repent. This is, this is what it means, and this is how you live a life that is above labels. And then, and then outwardly, I think, I think a great first step is, is maybe to stay afterwards and, uh, and talk to somebody on our Next Steps team that you'll see out in the lobby and, and just ask them, you know, man, what, you know, what could it look like for me personally in my next step in following Jesus? Because we've said, you know, that, that, looks, for, that looks a little different for each one of us, right? And if you're here today and, and, you, and you are a follower of Jesus, I think, I think this is an opportunity to, to become relentless about the, the elimination of sin in your life. And I think a great first step would, would maybe be to, to get to, together this week, sometime this week with, with another uh, person who follows Jesus that, that you're close to, maybe that you trust, and, and just have an honest conversation. 
uh, an honest conversation maybe about, about some of these labels that, that, you, that you have or that you're attached to. And, and, and you, can, you can even say, you know, hey, here's some things that, that I feel like I'm struggling with in my life or I'm struggling with about my labels and ask them, what then shall I do? And give your friend, you know, permission to, to be brutally honest about some specific areas that, that you might be falling short and, and, and maybe some areas that, that you don't actually see yourself that they can speak into. Be willing to ask your friend, how do you see these labels impact me spiritually? And then, and then, and then you know, your challenge is to humbly accept your friend's word and, and then to take that back to God so that he can speak into it because he's the ultimate authority, not necessarily your friend. But that's how, that's how it is that, that you work out your faith with fear and trembling. Asking for, for God's forgiveness and, and asking for God to lead you personally towards towards outward change. I'm going to have the, the worship team come back here in a minute. And, and as we do, I just want to take a minute to uh, close this out in prayer. If you guys would, would bow your heads and close your eyes and, and join me as we, as we pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, you know, we come to you this morning with, uh, with hopefully with open hearts and, and open hands that, uh, that, that our open hearts uh, desire forgiveness for the sin that we commit um, you know, sin, Father, that, uh, that we know hurts us. Our sin hurts us and, and it hurts other people. But most importantly, God, it, it hurts you. And help us, God, to, to inwardly repent first so that uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can, you can show us how to outwardly change. You know, because, God, that, that outward change, it, it looks different for, for each one of us. And because we all have, we all have different labels. But God, let us, let us be a people marked by the seriousness of eliminating sin in our lives. So that, so that ultimately, Father, you know, we have clear eyes to see your kingdom come. And that we can, we can start to experience great joy as you shape us to look more like Jesus. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, well, before I uh, let you guys go, just want to give you a couple of quick announcements. Uh, if this is your first time get as a guest, man, we are so grateful uh, that you took a couple minutes to, uh, to be with us here today. Uh, if you would, we'd love to have you uh, check out our website, lpguest.com. Uh, when you go to that site, you'll see a panel that says guest information. Uh, we would ask that you would just uh, take a minute, click on that, uh, fill out a little bit of information about yourself. And at the bottom of the page, uh, you'll see a couple of ministries that we support. Uh, and, if, uh, and if you would pick one of those ministries, what we'll do is we'll make a $5 donation in your honor, uh, just as our way of saying thank you for, for being with us today. Uh, next thing I want to let you know is that uh, next Sunday, we are going to have our Discovering Life membership class. It's going to be from 1215 uh, to 145. Uh, lunch will be provided. Child care will be provided. Uh, what we would like is uh, you can sign up for that in your app. Uh, we do need you to, to RSVP for that. So, so we are asking you to sign up. So that way we know how much food, we know how much uh, child care to, to be ready for. Uh, and I would just say, if, if you've been coming to LifePoint uh, in our church for, for a period of time, and, and you would say to yourself, man, you know, you know LifePoint people are my people. 
Uh, man, uh, Discovering Life uh, membership class, if you're not already a member of our church, that is a great uh, next step for you to take. And I strongly encourage you to, uh, to get signed up for that. Last, uh, just as a reminder to those of you who are members and, and also regular attenders, uh, man, it's our privilege to take part in the offering. Uh, and it's also a reminder uh, as a staff how grateful we are uh, for how you give and for your generosity. And you can do that uh, in a number of different ways. You can go uh, onto your app. You can go onto uh, our website. You can text the code. You can give in one of the two black boxes on your way out. Uh, thank you guys so much. God bless you. Hope you have a great week. And we will see you next week as we continue on uh, with uh, a label series in the Gospel of Luke. God bless you.